Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Welcome to Word in Your Ear. I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was, uh, I was in Belfast on book promotion duties. And our next guest was uh, the person I talked to on book promotion duties as part of the Cathedral Quarter Festival. Yeah. Which I think Mark Allen, you've been to in the, in the past. Yeah, yeah. we still. Yeah. Uh, and and afterwards, he was very kind enough to take me on his patented Van Morrison tour of Belfast. <laughs> which, if you can speak to him afterwards, and possibly if you speak to him nicely, and you buy his his book, he might even do that for you. And I do I do recommend it. And anyway, as he dropped me back at the hotel, he gave me a copy of his book. Uh, Trouble Songs, Music and Conflict in Northern Ireland. And I'm going to be perfectly frank with you. I didn't think, oh, that sounds like a rattling good read. <laughs> but when I get back to my, my room in the Europa, you know, brackets, most bombed hotel in Western Europe, you know, that they put above, above the door. Uh, but I did read some of that that evening, and I read some of it on the, the rest of it on the plane coming back to the UK. And I found it absolutely enthralling. And we've done many books. We've featured many books on Word in Your Ear. Frankly, none of them are better than this. And I think Mark Allen would agree with me on this. Uh, It's an extraordinary piece of work. Would you please welcome Stuart Bailey. So, Stuart, um, why this book now? Um, I, I kind of have been picking away at it for a long time. I've written essays about it. I've, I've done interviews. And um, I, I had spent 10 years working in a, a music centre, a big whiskey warehouse, turned it into a music centre. Exhausted when I left it. It, was, it turned into a really big admin job, and it was plumbers and spreadsheets. And, <laughs> and I thought, I just want to write. You know, if I got run over by a bus tomorrow... What would you regret not having done? And I think I have to write the music in conflict, but you know, it's it's my life story. It's it's my record collection. It's 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 not really 
nobody's done it in any depth. And I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. So I, I gave it my best shot. So is it self-published? It, it is. Uh, I, I had an agent. He, he couldn't get anyone to bite. They, 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 they all quite liked the idea, but said it wouldn't sell well. I tried some local publishers who wanted vast, you know, 90% of the, the revenue, and I thought, hmm. So, so British Council came forward and went, it's the, it's the 20th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, it's, you know, the moment where everyone signed up for a tentative piece. There's an anniversary, there's a big conference, can you get it out in time? And I was going, well, that's seven months away. Okay, so then I just went underground. They for, gave you for, a focus. Yeah, so I, I had, I'd already written chunks of it, and then I thought, okay, time to do it. Now. So you say it's your story as well. Just to give us a bit of background, you know, when, when, we, when and where were you born? Well, I was born in 1961 in Belfast. Uh, conflict... Everything is is negotiable about about the conflict, but it, generally they, 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 it's October the fifth, nineteen sixty eight, which was the riot and the the civil rights march. Um, so I was seven when when the conflict right. started. So I, I can barely remember what it was like before then. Uh, a little bit of you know you remember Christmas and things like that, but all of a sudden the town just shut down. Random violence, explosions. Right. Uh, and then you know, the 3,700 people died in the conflict. It was, it was horrendous, but, but it was all that I kind of knew. And um, you stayed in your own area. There was a ring of steel around the city centre, so the, the town literally stopped at night. And, um, and, and then sort of punk arrived. And, and, you right. know, so that oh, was we, my we, era. Well, we'll talk yeah. about that later. But okay. yeah, so, 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 so music was sort of... The resistance to me started in 77, 78. And then, and then that, that was sort of parallel to the, to the process of, of stopping sectarian killings and all the other stuff that happened. So, um, and all the time on the radio or certain songs, I would have very strong associations with what happened around that time. Yeah, yeah. So I just disappeared and got it all out of my system. And bits of stories I remembered, bits of stories I had to ask people what actually happened that year. And... And all these stories came tumbling out. And I think because we're, you know, we're 50 years away from the start of the conflict, people are starting to say, well, OK, I'll tell you the real story, you know. And I, so there, there, there's a wee bit of that sort of enough time has passed now for, for people to open up a bit. So I did about 60 interviews. And some of the, the, the revelations were, were really interesting. Right, yeah. So let's, let's talk about Belfast, um, you know, just from your driving me around Belfast I, I immediately got a, you know, got a picture obviously of, of things that I've just seen reported in newspapers and on the television over the years you know but this idea I, I can't think of anywhere else in the UK where certain people are associated with certain areas and everybody knows where everybody comes from and yeah. that had a significance can you give us a, a kind of quick idea of that well, uh, Northern Ireland, the, the state of Northern Ireland came about in 1921. Uh, the, 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 the rising was, was 1916, and it was put down by the, the British, and, the, and there was a sort of a, a revulsion at you know, the execution of the leaders, and mostly in Dublin. And, uh, but in the end of the day, as in other parts of the British Empire, there was a, a retreat uh, from the 26 counties of the Republic of Ireland, but the six counties in the north at that stage were primarily, well, there was a majority, 60% Protestant. 
So there was a kind of a border stitched up and went, well, you, know, you guys can stay in, in the UK or the, the, the British yeah. part. And that's been contested since 1921. Um, and incredible sensitivities about place, location, history, history books, education is, is um, segregated, you know, areas are segregated. You can see that map even yeah. just where Belfast is that you know you have incredibly fine-tuned what streets you can go down where you can't go and how so, you're going to be interrupted and so it's know. the anxiety that we hear about in London nowadays with knife crime yeah. and young kids and postcode violence yeah. and so forth was a fact of life in Belfast yes yes and, 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 and you know and, and certainly from 68 onwards it became more segregated the areas that were mixed one way or the other they they were they moved yeah, uh, uh, by accident or design, you know. Even that, yeah, you probably remember that Andy White song, "Religious Persuasion," mm. Protestant or Catholic, said a voice from the crowd. You know that idea that you can walk down a street and someone will—that's what they're going to ask you. Yeah. You know what? What tribe are you from? Yeah, and your answer could seriously impact on your health the, sure. the, the, that <laughs> evening. You know, yeah. so uh, they, so yeah, very, very stressful. They they. Some of the stuff in the book I love most is the, is the stuff kind of pre-troubles, I suppose. It's just about the, 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 how music is, is part of the fabric of, of everyday life and politics and sectarian tension and all kinds of things, you know. Talk about that. Well, I think, first of all, folk music is so deep in the culture. You know, in, in England... You know, you've got your Fairport conventions and your Linda's Farns yeah. and everything else, but but you know, folk music there is just a. It goes back three, four, five centuries. You wouldn't start a fight by singing an English folk song, would you? No, you probably wouldn't. No. <laughs> so so, and, and there's also a culture in folk music where they adapt the lyrics. Yeah, you know, or they keep the tune, but they write new new lyrics. So so. When pop, popular music came along, they went, well, well, we'll do the same with these songs, you know. So, um, and, and, and this, this is Dublin. This is O'Connell Street. And, uh, Give us some examples of that, because there are things like, uh, <laughs> I was born under a Union Jack. Is it that yeah, kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. We all live in a fascist regime. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I was born under Union Jack, which was... A, yeah. the, the, the other thing that happened in, in, the, in the 70s was the, the, the small onset printing press. So yeah. fanzines became popular or, or community newspapers and, and each tribe had their own community papers and the, yeah. it was just lyrics, a song to be sung to the tune of. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, and, and then, you know, so, so when I was 11, it was the big Coca-Cola in, in, on the hillside in Italy, I'd like to buy the you know the world the of world coke. of coke, yeah. yeah. And 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 I remember going to school and, and this being in my rucksack, it was a, I'd like to buy the Pope a rope and hang him from a tree <laughs> with Bernadette and Jerry Fit to keep him company, you know. And each verse had different nationalist leaders and on, on how they would die, you know. It was. Yeah. But this is, this is Nelson's column. The 50th anniversary of the Easter Rising was 66, and that's when things started to get a bit... There was a celebration. It was a very martial celebration in, in Dublin, and Nelson was on top of that column, and uh, Republicans blew Nelson off. <laughs> and there, there was a whole series of songs about it, you know, because they, they thought, this is great, let's write it. But <laughs> up went Nelson was the big one. 
And that was uh, a number one record. It was it? a number one record. Up went Nelson. How did it go? Can you uh, remember the lyrics? Up went Nelson in old Dublin. It was a battle hymn of the Republic, so it was it was kind of cheering about yeah, how yeah, yeah. all along O'Connell Street, you know, blah blah. Up went Nelson the pillar too. The Dubliners had a song. The Clancy Brothers had a song, but. Um, this was a guy called Billy McBurney from Belfast who wrote Up Went Nelson and it was recorded by the Go Lucky Four I think and it was number one in the, the 50th anniversary of the, 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 the rising and you know Nelson was gone and that was it you know so um, but yes yeah, so, so all the time people were rewriting popular songs internment was 1971 and hundreds of nationalist stroke republicans were were put in jail without, without trial yeah. uh, and uh, the loyalists would sing the chirp uh, chirp cheap cheap where's your daddy gone to the, to <laughs> the, the, the so nationalists mean. you know so, it was, so, cool. so yeah that was brutal really brutal stuff yeah. so. but, but there was a kind of music industry wasn't there in, 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 in Belfast small music industry well the guy, the guy who wrote up went Nelson was this legendary man called Billy McBurney uh, and I met him you know in his later years and he was a total opportunist. Uh, he would record Glasgow Rangers songs, Linfield songs, Glentorn songs, Republican anthems, Protestant marching bands, <laughs> or, whatever musicians. there was. Yeah, it was literally. You had, a, you had like you know the, the new lyric sheet. The equivalent, <laughs> the, the, they had the equivalent of the wrecking crew, and it would be like, "What have you got in this afternoon? Yeah. Oh, we've got a we've got a kick the Pope band," and you go, "Okay." <laughs> You know, it's all in it's it. All you work. know, a few bob, and, uh, and I thought that was very charming in a sense. You know, and, and he, he literally went, "We're an ecumenical lot. We'll just, yeah. as long as there's a few dollars in it, we'll have a go." Yeah. You talk about the disc. You talk about discos. I think in the sixties, that there was always some tension about which national anthem you would yeah. finish. Yeah. Literally, if you were a DJ, you had to carry the the, the soldier song and "God Save the Queen." And, and you'd never depend on which you. you li- well, yeah, yeah, you know, you, 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 you had by the end of the night, you kind of knew, but, yeah, yeah, you would have found out, uh, yeah, and you would go, uh, and and, and, and I, I, there was a guy called Handy who's in the book who was a DJ and he'd forgotten, you know, the Republican anthem, and uh, no, we had forgotten God Save the Queen, uh, and he was in a loyalist area in Donegadee, and uh, they said, right. God save the Queen. He says, I forgot the record. And he went, sing it. <laughs> no, no. As a so, so DJ Henry had to stand on the stage and sing God save the Queen. Uh, so, uh, I was worried about being asked to sing verse four. Yeah, well, that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which was a struggle for most of us. Yeah. So, uh, as you say, all started to change in the, in the late 60s, the civil rights marches and... We shall overcome. And music is an important part of that, isn't it? Yes. Uh, civil rights originally wanted to be beyond regional politics. So they said, we, we don't want flags. We don't want you to sing nationalist anthems like Ken, Kevin Barry. We want to, you know, unite everybody in a... You know, some of these people are very left-wing. They're Trotskyites, so what, Trotskyites and the issues are housing, um, one man, one vote, you know, in 68. Still didn't have one man, one vote in Northern Ireland. It was crazy. It was a lot of gerrymandering. So the Civil Rights March, and I, and I was kind of like, what are we going to sing? And uh, there was a guy called Finbar O'Darty. They, they occupied the Craigavon Bridge in Derry in July 1968. 
and he conducted everyone to sing We Shall Overcome. You know, nobody quite knew about and And, they, you know, people these days talk about cultural appropriation. You know, and they're going, this, this is sort of part of the, the American black struggle. How can we sing this? And, and it clicked. It worked. And uh, I get very emotional when you hear people, you know, you, there, there's clips of those marches and you can hear people in a, in a very strong Irish accent singing We Shall Overcome. Yeah. And, mm. and, I, and I even spent a bit of time working out how that song had evolved from a, a gospel song, I'll Overcome Someday, to We Shall That's Overcome. Right. And it was, mm. it was nurtured and tweaked. It became a union song and then it became a civil rights song. And um, so, so this was the big, the big march in Derry on... on uh, 5th of October 1968, and that's when they, the Royal Ulster Constabulary got the cautious out, really, and, and just led in everybody. And, the, you know, I met, I met the person who did the x-rays and everyone, and, the, you know, they were all head, head of concussion, where, where people were being hit on the head. RTE cameras caught it, so there's incredible footage of just civil rights marches being battered. Um, and in a very short space of time, the, the, the burnt toilet march was January 69 People's Democracy March, and that was basically they they they, they were there was an ambush on the way into Derry, and you know hundreds of people were, were battered, and it was all planned, and you know people from the B Specials who were like the military branch of the the the, the, the state forces, kind of absolutely you know, yeah. so that was it, and and then the night of that, Jim Sharkey, father of Fergal Sharkey, who was an electrician put together um, Radio Free Derry. So they got a pirate radio station on Rossville. Well, it was in Craigan and then Rossville Flats. And the security forces must have transcribed the first two days of broadcast of Radio Free Derry. So I went, to, <laughs> I went, I went into the public records office and read the transcription. So I knew every song that they played, all the, 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 the pattern, people like Eamon McCann playing these records. And, you know, they were playing the Beatles and they were playing It's Now or Never by Elvis. And then they were playing local artists like Magella Brady. And it was a folk song that had just been written and was pressed up and they played that. And so that idea that music was just so visceral, so, and so absolutely in the grain of what was going on. And, by following this, the song, she could almost find the stories. Yeah, yeah. So then, as you said earlier, you know that things start getting really terrible, and people are moved around. Or they they have to move out the houses for fear of what might. Well, they change. This the... produces this very famous image, which of course is on the on the first Dexys Midnight Runners um, album yeah. cover, isn't it? Well, I, I thought when I saw that first that that was World War Two. It, it, it looks, looks like that. Yeah. yeah. Certainly, this gentleman, you know, he looks it looks like nineteen whatever, nineteen forty-one yeah, or whatever. Yeah, he looks like an evacuee. That's Anthony O'Shaughnessy, and that's the Ardoin. And essentially, the, the narrative that I've got is uh, basically the Protestants were moving out of a mixed area. They had this is a coal lorry that they kind of hijacked on the shankle. They they came up, they got all their guys onto the coal lorry and all their their, their stuff. And then they set fire to the houses so the Catholics couldn't move in. And this is the O'Shaughnessy family. That's his brother there and his mother at the back. And that's another brother. And obviously he's just going, what the hell? Um, this guy on the left uh, apparently is a guy called Basher Bates, who, who later was 
imprisoned uh, for uh, he was part of a murder gang called the Shankle Butchers who operated <laughs> oh, with yeah, yeah. butchers' knives and carved up mostly Catholics who were on their way home from the pub or from work. So it's just a, every level of that. that yeah. But it is yeah. bizarre that I suppose that this yeah. is the, uh, this is just a, a, a sign of something that, that that you deal with a lot in the book is the, the kind of. Uh, the reception of these events in the rest of the UK, you know, that there's a kind of war chic that kind of comes yeah. along with this, you know, yeah. that everybody's very attracted to these images in a strange way. Which, anyway, we'll come to that. We'll come to that later on. There, you talk also about the, uh, you know, the, the musical reactions of people outside the Northern Ireland. So Paul McCartney and John Lennon both decide that they they're going to write songs about. Yeah. It. What's happening? In- and also, John Lennon comes out in support of the IRA, doesn't he? Yes. Uh, McCartney was out first, which I think piqued John Lennon because McCartney literally, this was uh, 1972, so um, Bloody Sunday is January 1972, and yeah. the British paratroopers shot 14, killed 14 civilians on a, a march, all unarmed. And uh, McCartney literally went in over the weekend and recorded uh, Give Ireland Back to the Irish with Henry McCulloch, who was uh, from Port Stewart. He, was, yeah. he had previously played with Joe Cocker and the Grace Band and stuff. And he hated it, but it was his first gig with Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, he called it a cotton wool protest. Yes, yes. And it, was, it, it, it is classic cod reggae. It's, yeah. it's a very bad song. <laughs> um, but I know how we reacted. But how did people in, in Northern Ireland react to that? I mean, well, uh, I think Henry's brother ended up. Uh, a couple of the McCulloch brothers ended up having to fight their way out of bars and stuff like that. You know, it, it was it was perceived to be bad form. Um, <laughs> you couldn't hear it on the radio. There was a there was a complete broadcasting ban on on Give Ireland Back to the Irish, but it was number one in Ireland. Uh, it, it was the men behind the wire for three weeks. It dropped down and gave Ireland back to the Irish, and then the men behind the wire went back on. So, for that whole period of post internment, Bloody Sunday, the Irish charts were dominated by songs about um, the, well, the, the, the shortcomings of, of the British. Um, yeah. But. Uh, how did people react to John Lennon with the, the support of the Irish? Well, I, 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 I think. It was it was a horrendous. It, it, well, again, so so he had the luck of the Irish, which was a kind of a, a, a ripped by the mm. British brigands, and and it, and it was radical chic. He was he was sort of winging it a little bit. It wasn't a lot of musical content in what he was doing. He was hanging around with kind of Irish Americans in New York, singing in an Irish New York American accent, and and Sunday Bloody Sunday. It's very angry. It's very to the point. He sang about repatriation of the Anglo Jocks and Scottish, you know, the, the, the Anglos and the Scotties. Um, and, and then he sort of, so, so that was a very short period of time, and then he, he was applying for his green card or whatever, and <laughs> the, the CIA says, your, your car's marked, buddy, and he sort of moved on. So yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. So, so he, his, his mind game yeah, next. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and Paul McCartney had was it Mary had a little lamb straight after that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So that you yeah. know, that they, 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 they never had long Back attention spans. Yeah. To they, 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 this, a lot of people will say that, that, that this this was. Uh, 
an anti-internment march. It was actually the Oz supporting yeah, yeah, the yeah, Oz yeah. trials or whatever. So it was a march to Marble Arch, and he's holding. Uh, the Red Mole yeah. magazine, and it's an article about the, about the IRA. By the IRA, there's a very, there's a very moving bit where, where, yeah, where Rory Gallagher um, comes to to play in, in Belfast, and, and the statistics are absolutely astonishing. I had no idea. I th- if I'm right in saying that 1972, 500, there were 500 deaths in yeah. Northern Ireland. Yeah, yeah. There were 2,000 bombing incidents. Yeah. And I think there were 10,000 shooting incidents. Yeah. And I think in just July alone, I think 100 people it were was. killed. You know, yeah. so so when Rory Gallagher came, and there's this really uh, extraordinary coverage in the Melody Maker at the time it was you know the, the, to have the bravery to come you know from south of the border to play in Belfast yeah. it was kind of a risky operation wasn't it yeah. you, you weren't there I guess no I, would, I would have been 9 or 10 young. around yeah, that yeah, time yeah, 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 but yeah. Um, uh, Rory Rory didn't you know he's a very modest chap he didn't make a fuss he didn't grandstand about it he just did the gig and and you know, for for for, the, for that generation, he's virtually a saint. You know, he, yeah, he yeah. did it. He appeared. It was generally around Christmas time, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Um, and uh, the other remarkable one was Led Zeppelin, who played the Ulster Hall, uh, premiered Stairway to Heaven in <laughs> Belfast. Uh, you know, they sang about a bustle in your hedgerow, and at the end of it all, John Bonham goes to the promoter, "Any riots on tonight?" And uh, uh, Jimmy, can the, the promoter took him to a riot off the Falls Road, you know. <laughs> so, so John Bonham got, got to see a nice riot at the end of the game. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> and then they never came back, did yeah. they? Yeah, they didn't. No, that was it. They, 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 the people in Northern Ireland remembered the people who went, didn't they? Is that fair there, to there say? There was a great loyalty, you know, and I was very few and far between. You talk about marm- marmalade came. There, there was a pop for peace concert in '69, yeah. and and they tried their best, and I, I think they they almost felt like that John Lennon owed them one, and he, of course, yeah. but John Lennon he yeah. wasn't coming. No, no, marmalade, they, they got it. Yeah, marmalade yeah. played. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Horse Lips again were an Irish band who who turned up and did the did the did the necessaries and right. huge affection for Horse Lips as well. So one of the obviously one of the core events in the book and an appalling tragedy um, is, is what happened to the Miami show band uh, for the benefit of people who don't know what happened tell us well I mean, I mean the, the show bands were, were more of a 60s thing and it was a very Irish thing and it was kind of state approved, church approved where Bands would tour around dry venues, ballrooms, yeah. and they would play the hits of the day. They would play Beach Boys songs, and you know people like Joe Dolan and, and you know Big Tom and all of these kind of people. A wee bit of country, a wee bit of rock and roll party. They would all do synchronized dancing. They would tell jokes, and they were huge. You know there was thousands of show bands. By by seventy five, it sort of you know, dribbled away a bit, but still, Miami were the the, the Dublin show band du jour. They were they were they were huge in their day. They had seven number ones, didn't they? Yes, yeah, they were massive. Dickie Rock was the original singer, and the girls would would, would come up to him and say, "Spit on me, Dickie," and that, that was that was, you know, that was any, anything from Dickie Rock was just kind of <laughs> so. Um, but by '75, the glory days were over. They, they didn't have the big coach anymore. They had a Volkswagen van. They were on their way uh, from a gig in Banbridge. They were going to Newry, got on their way back to, to down south. And uh, what, what they, they assumed was a British army checkpoint, people in army uniforms uh, on, 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 a, on a, a bus kill. 
They got out of the van. The, the soldiers were, were looking around inside the van. And it turned out that it wasn't the UDR, the Ulster Defence Regiment, it was the UVF, who were a paramilitary gang. And they were planning to put a bomb under the driver's seat, fully expecting it to go off an hour later when they were in the south. And what, why, nobody's really explained, but certainly I think they wanted to create a hard border and they, they wanted to stoke up tension and there was a lot of state collusion going on at the time. And the Glen Ann gang, who were responsible, also did the Dublin Monaghan bombings that Bono later wrote about. But the bomb went off. The two guys trying to put the bomb in the van were killed instantly. The remainder of this bogus uh, army st- uh, immediately started to sh- kill. Uh, so, uh, so, so they shot three members of the Miami show band at point-blank range. Fran O'Toole, the singer, got 22 bullets mostly in the head. Um, one of the other guys, the horn player, was shot in the scrotum at point-blank range with a, with, mm. a, with a handgun. And uh, it was grotesque. Two of the guys survived. I, I spoke to them in the book. And, um, you know, a few people have been arrested for it, but the story's never been told. And almost every month now, there's another bit of, oh, the evidence has been destroyed or... The, you know, so, so it will come out. I think a lot of the collusion stories and the, 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 the dark state stories will come out. But that was grotesque. And uh, there was a few bands playing at the time and, and everyone just cancelled their tour plans. We're going, we're not going to play in Northern yeah, Ireland. That's yeah, just crazy. Yeah, They're a bunch yeah. of psychos. Yeah. So, you know, that, and I, that was sort of why well, I was 15 at the time. So that was, you were kind of going, okay, well, that's... You, know, you don't go to gigs, really. That's not part of your culture anymore. So people stayed indoors. I mean, they, the recorded music industry, you say, did quite well because yeah. people couldn't go anywhere. Couldn't yeah, and, 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 and a lot of the bars that were blown up became Shabins. So that's where you would hear your Wolf Tone songs and, and your, yeah, yeah. you know, the, the equivalent on the other side. So uh, it became a bit more embittered and, and certainly very uh, ghettoized. Yeah, yeah. So you got the Miami show band, are they appalling victims of this this appalling uh, attack, who are the kind of least fashionable-looking, least chic group you've ever seen in your life. And then you start getting kind of... The Clash come over in 1977, 78 or whatever? Yeah, October 1977, and... Uh, this is the gig that never happened, and uh, it was a long story, but uh, the, I think the clash were just bad news in terms of gig insurance, because it was the White Riot Tour White had just happened come before yeah. that, and before that, obviously, it was the Anarchy Tour. So insurers in England didn't want to know them, and I think, you know, there was 20,000 quids worth of damage in a Glasgow gig and all of that stuff, but then you put that in a Northern Ireland concert, so the, the insurers wouldn't touch the gig. The Ulster Hall was a city council property, and they were going, well, there's no insurance, there's no gig and the Clash were largely unaware of this. Uh, this was in the afternoon. So Adrian Boot, CBS Records, had paid him to come over to do some promo shots against the wall in the hotel. And he went, well, let's go out for a drive, you know. <laughs> so, so this is, um, this is just outside Crumlin Road Jail. And, and this, is, this guy's called Keith, the soldier with a moustache. Joe Strummer had a, picked up a conversation with him. And I guess it is radical chic. It, 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 certainly people were very conflicted at home at the time. It was like, uh, you know, is this a publicity stunt? Is well, it CBS a were, were, were mortified that he'd yeah. done it and then, yeah. and then pressed up loads of pictures and gave them free to, the, to all the music yeah. press. So they... Yeah, so, uh, you know, and, and, and the Clash, yeah. you know, they're just saying, like, 
we're, we're showing the rest of the world what's going on here. It's part of the UK. Um, but it certainly was a, a moment. And I think the, 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 the takeaway for the local community was that uh, they had a bit of a riot outside the Ulster Hall on Bedford Street. Uh, uh, a couple of the guys were going, in, in Belfast terms, it was like two out of ten. You know, there were, you know, there was nobody killed, or there was no mortar bombs, or whatever. You know, there was a few broken windows, and you know, a couple of people arrested. Call that a riot. Yeah. But but it was literally it was us against the system. You know, so it was, yeah. it was almost a different a different war going on, or a different conflict that was like uh, you know the youth youth culture versus the other lot. Yeah. You know, so and you know and, and that led fairly directly to um, Alternative Ulster by Steph Littlefingers. Right. You know, that was almost like, well, here, we, we've got our own tribe here. We're, we, we don't have to belong to nationalist, republican, or loyalist, unionist. So that was, that was a, so, a revelatory uh, moment. Yeah, I love the detail about Steph Littlefingers. You say that, um, that they used to play in the early days, before the, probably before the Steve Littlefingers. What were they called before that? Highway Star. Highway Star. Purple. I rest uh, my uh, case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Highway Star. Yeah. Uh, uh, they used to do Ohio uh, by Crosby, Stills and Nash and Young. But they didn't know that it had been anything to do with the Vietnam War. or it, yeah. They just liked the they just, tune. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was only a few chords, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> but you start to get at this time, you know, the, the emergence of live music in Belfast again, do you? I mean, you yeah, got Rudy? Yeah. yeah. So uh, just outside the Ring of the ring of Steel is the city centre. There was, like, 16 major metal framework things that stopped you getting in and out of the time. But just outside, out on Hill Street, there was, there was a bar called the Harp Bar. And uh, the Harp Bar was official IRA strippers and punks it was kind of every yeah. it was kind of CBGBs with extra scary bits kind of and, yeah. and sleaze uh, and, and that was that was kind of that was the that was the gaff you know that was it was an incredible place it stank it was filthy it was everything that was you know that rock and roll should be and uh, that's where bands like Rudy Stiff Little Fingers the Undertones Inc played once uh, the Fall came over, uh, Monochrome Set. So all of a sudden, there was a home, there was a focus. And, uh, you know, you had to go through chicken wire and security fencing. And, you know, people had been killed in 75 in the Harp Bar. And Rudy were just this magnificent, cool, you know, probably 75, 76, they were already playing bowling songs and you know, listening to New York Dolls. And so, so you know, every, every town had a cool band kind of thing and really were the, the cool band. And Big Time was the first release on Good Vibrations Records. So t- Terry Hooley, this uh, lovely uh, crackpot individual. Uh, and, and this is kind of opposite where the Europa Hotel w- would have been. So, you know, they, they call it Bomb Alley. So, they, they, you know, there's literally a daily explosion around here. And he put a record shop in the middle of it all, bless his heart. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and that's where you hung out every Saturday. You know, you literally it, just what, stayed all day in the first floor of the record shop. Was there a good spirit amongst these people who were, who were starting a, mu- a live music scene? Or were they competitive? It was a little bit bitchy. There was a little bit of a, you know, who was there in 77, you know, that way, which, you know, happened in all the punk communities, I think. 
but 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 also you were meeting people from the other side of town who you would never otherwise have met because you know you you know if you're East Belfast or North Belfast, you get married, you get buried, you get it, you know you you have a job there or you you sign on. So all of a sudden you're going to go, you know that you've you've got an Iggy Pop badge or you know, right? You know, I, I saw you in the record shop the other day, and and so you're you're literally meeting people from two miles away that you would never ever have met otherwise. So yes. it was, it was, and it broke down barricades. It was very exciting, and you know, Stiff Little Fingers became political. You know, that singing Suspect Device and Alternative Ulster. Rudy used to sing songs like um, Excitement or um, uh, Big Time was their big anthem, but, but um, uh, Time to Be Proud was, it was this incredible song of, of we're, we're it, we're the, we're the centre of everything that's great. So, and so Stiff Little Fingers are brilliant at using press. They, they yes. contact journalists and, and, and say, don't write another review until you've seen us. We are the greatest rock and roll band of the world. Yes. And, then, and then press up cassettes, I think, of Suspect Device with, with printed wiring from, from actual explosive devices. Yes. Right? Gordon, Gordon Ogilvy worked for the Daily Express, so he was sort of managing them, yeah. co-managing them, and also helping to write the lyrics. And I, and I was, you know, at the time was like, how dare he, you know, and other people are going, well, yeah, yeah, that's good, you know. And now obviously a lot of it came from the clash, the, the, the riot zone rhetoric and the, the drama. Yeah. And the, but at the same extent, you know, those songs are great, you know, I, you know, where they contrive possibly, but I think Jake Burns sang it like he meant it. And he wrote quite a lot of the big ones. Um, and to hear John Peel, bless him, Seymour Stein was talking about him earlier, but suddenly from, from a little inward-looking culture to hear a suspect device being played on network radio and to hear Teenage Kicks being played and, and to see Terry Hooley waving bits of plastic around going, look, we did this ourselves. It was, it was very, very liberating. Yeah, because you they, know, the, the, the undertones, the cover of the uh, of Teenage Kicks, yeah. of the original one, you know, which got the 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 graffiti on the wall saying the undertones are shit. Yeah, <laughs> really just funny. seems like the most Northern Ireland thing I've ever seen. Yeah, in my life. that was in Derry. Derry. Well, Terry says, oh, I, I, Derry balance people have a chip in each shoulder yeah. you know but yeah. they he says he says I've never seen he says you were walking down the road and people would cross the road to spit on Fergal Sharkey you know <laughs> it was like they, they just you know and, and then Fergal gave as good as he got so you know I, and, and obviously Derry has made its peace with the undertones but it was just that, that cultural cringe and anxiety about anyone who's seen to do something out of line or out of step or to be too confident and, and, and it taken a long time to get over that, you know. So that that was this was a time when this was kind of happening. And I, I remember being in the shop and literally watching Fergal, because they, they were like origami. You know, yes. you had you had to yeah. fold the cover, yes. yeah. make it yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So every Saturday, you know, you you were conscripted in. You know, people were there folding the sleeves, <laughs> and you know, you, they would fold each other's sleeves. And you know, it was it was a cooperative spirit as well. Um, and it was just, you know, they were they were ridiculous looking slaves, but yeah. You you write quite a lot about Christy Moore, yeah, as a man who's you know entire kind of musical career has been bound up with that. 
struggle. Tell us about him. Well, he was, you know, he's the Woody Guthrie of Ireland, I think, really. Yeah. And, and, and he was, he went from being a bit of a stage paddy and, and, and singing, you know, ballads about being drunk to saying, oh, you know, there's stuff going on here. Uh, how do we write about it? How do we articulate it? And in 1981 was the hunger strikes. So it was um, 10, 10 people died on hunger strike to try and get political status, which was being taken away from them. The, the, their argument, again, none of these arguments are ever simple, but 1981 was a horrendous year because literally people were dying. When it was, this was it Bobby was, Sands. Bobby Sands yeah. was the first to die. I think it was May the 5th, 1981. And, and then they were staggered. So every couple of weeks, another one died, another one died, another one died. Margaret Thatcher was making a stand going, never, you know, we're not going to do this and we're, we're not going to talk to these people. We're not going to manage it. And Christie then, at that point, was in a band called Moving Hearts and they just toured Ireland for a year. And um, they, just, they, they recorded various songs of other people's no Time for Love, On the Blanket. And again, it was a time that I'd almost blocked out. You're kind of going, because, you know, 81, I was 20, and you, you, you kind of, and I was at college, and it, it, things became better and polarised. Uh, and, and, and you just listened to the stuff that he recorded around that time, and it was so raw and so powerful. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to judge anybody in the book because I feel like I don't want to moralise too much. It's, But... You know, Christy Moore, and, and subsequently Christy Moore has, has sort of moved into a little bit of the centre ground, but yeah. he, he absolutely took a stance around that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when did you come, you came to the UK to work on The Enemy? I came 85 uh, to London, and I stayed until 96. Um, and, and, and I think the 80s really, and I, I'd, I'd been in bad punk bands and I played in the Heart Bar and the Pine, the Pine Club and uh, loved it. And, and then, you know, realised I was never going to be a rock and roll star and came to London with a typewriter. And, but the 80s felt hopeless. It felt like there was no movement, no give, no, no nothing. So it was, you know, and, and a lot of people emigrated around that time. Uh-huh. So there was huge colonies and... North London and South London and stuff with people who kind of needed a break. And I you think. probably thought you wouldn't go back. Did you? Uh, I, I was, I, I was, I, came, I went back a lot, you know, to see family and stuff. But it was, oh, well, I don't know. And then you get a bit older, and you know, and uh, around early nineties, there was starting to be a bit of a give. The the, the ceasefires were, the IRA ceasefire was ninety four. The Cranberries put out Zombie, and then the Loyalists put down their guns. They went, that's enough. (laughs) No more bad songs, you know. (laughs) Uh, So so 94, and and I was back in 96, and and it got a bit giddy. Andy White says it went a bit fluffy for a while, because almost a little bit, oh, shall we give this a try? Right. And and this is the moment then in in, in 1998. They, They put together the Good Friday Agreement, uh, the, I think the plenary sessions there were 14 different political parties and voices and, and, and they, they bashed it down. George Mitchell uh, kind of knocked heads together on, on, on behalf of the Americans. They signed up the, the Good Friday Agreement and then there was a referendum in May. And uh, a lot of political prisoners were coming out or they were on early release or they were on remand and they, there was a lot of grandstanding. 
at political events and the moderate vote were completely spooked going what are we signing up to these guys mm-hmm. taking applause and being called you know the Nelson Mandela's of Ireland and mm-hmm. all of this kind of thing and there was another panic it was like what are we going to do if this vote goes down to Swanee we've nothing we, 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 the, the peace process is dead in the water so very quickly, Sonny put the word out to Bono through the John Hume's STLP. Bono says, well, I'll do a gig, but there's got to be a Northern Ireland uh, dimension. So they got the band Ash, who were very much a cool little band at the moment. Uh, they put a gig on at the Waterfront Hall. It was 2006 Farmers. And you uh, two had come off Pop Mart, one of the most technologically over-engineered tours yeah. ever. And all of a sudden, they were playing borrowed instruments on the waterfront stage. And, uh, you know, the, the bootleg of it, it, it just, yeah, the music's awful. You know, it really, they played Stand By Me, they played Don't Let Me Down. They played One, which is one of those incredible songs that yeah. lends itself to any occasion. But the handshake, or the, 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 the we, we, this was a kind of remake of the Bob Marley, so you know, and I think Bono was very aware of that. But you know, that was the moment, uh, banks of TV cameras and stuff, and, and that was the, the cover image uh, on all the papers the next day. So a rock and roll gig completely changed the news agenda. It was incredible. <laughs> like, and, I, and the guy from the unions party said there was nothing left in the tank. We had nothing left to offer. We had all the, the news was bad. The opposition to the agreement, which was mostly in Paisley and stuff, were winning the, the story. And a rock and roll gig saved the future. It just needed a gesture. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah, big yeah. gesture. Yeah, it literally made it, you know, and, and the fact that it was children at the gig, suddenly youth was on the agenda yeah. and the yeah. future was on the agenda. And so it was, very, it was a very pragmatic moment, really. Yeah. So post Good Friday Agreement, you know, slowly things thaw out and you know, normal, some kind of normal life is, is resumed. I know from my experience of being in Belfast a few weeks ago, it's like any other city in the UK on a Saturday. It's absolutely full of hen parties. Yes, and, yeah, and yeah, people, yeah. people <laughs> negotiating huge yeah. limousines down the. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's part of the boozy economy that yeah. keeps the UK going. Isn't Beer it? bikes, yeah, and, and and in a sense, you're kind of going, "Is this what we fought the the, the punk wars for?" You know. So that, <laughs> People could cycle down the road drinking beer. You know. <laughs> right. and parties, huge pink uh, limousines. You know, and uh, you know the, the the cultural areas that we were all part of uh, ten years ago, and around the cathedral and stuff, have now been totally gentrified. And I, and you know, it's a, the, the neoliberal <coughs> takeover of Belfast. So, but but you know, certainly this was uh, Europe Music Awards 2012. I think it was. In uh, and and it was a I think a potential audience of 1.2 billion. Justin Bieber came to town and everybody went giddy and the Chili Peppers played and this is Snow Patrol. So bubble. Snow Patrol, who are now officially the most successful musical export from the Northern Ireland, they, surely. Yeah, they are. Yeah, and uh, you know, Take Back the City was one of the songs that sort of articulated that that time. It's like okay, we'll we'll, we'll take it from here. Which of course we didn't, you know. The the the, the, the capitalists took back the city, but uh, uh, just say yes again. It was a song about trying to redesign the language of discourse because everybody says no in Northern Ireland. So so music has had its part, and 
you know, I, I, I didn't write too much about post-1998 because it's almost too early to call, no, really. Sure. But, mm. but certainly music has copper fastened the piece. Music has been used in all the tourist board ads and all of that. So are we fluffers for the, the capitalist takeover? I, I don't know yet. I think we'll have to wait and see how that, that kind of works. But certainly the, 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 the normality of the city is... Something that someone my age would 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 you know I've got three daughters I'm glad they don't have to live what through yeah, what sure, I had to live through. Sure, sure. The, the the climax of Stuart's tour of uh, of Belfast that he took me on a few weeks ago is of course Cypress Avenue. Yeah, which is this fabulous, beautiful residential street where. Ian Paisley used to live. Is That's that right. right. Yeah, yeah. It's Briefly. the closest thing. Uh, Belfast has the Parisian Boulevard. <laughs> uh, there, there's 85 trees. It's kind of quite wide and stately. Uh, Van Morrison lived around the corner in a little labourers two up, two down. Um, you know, terraced house, and and he he wrote beautifully about it on on Astral Weeks, <coughs> and uh, on his 70th birthday. So that was uh, 35. 31st of August 19, 2015, he played two gigs on Cypress Avenue. They put a stage at the end of the road and he played in the afternoon and then played in the early evening. And did he play the song Cypress Avenue? Hell, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's classic, isn't it? It is, yeah. He, he played on Hindford Street, which is the <laughs> like, as close as you'll get. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you know, and 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 I think in a, in a very cool way, Van has been part of that, you know. And and the the, the Northern Ireland office, there's a line at the end of the song, Coney Island. Wouldn't it be great if it was like this all the time? And around 1998, they asked his permission to use that, and that was the almost the slogan. We're kind of like, it's it's okay, like we're we're we're, the, we're getting there, you know. And uh, yeah, he played with when Clinton, the Clintons came over to turn on the Christmas tree lights and stuff. So in his own <laughs> undemonstrative way, yeah. he's part of the, 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 you know, the paradise regained, you know, from 68 Astro Weeks is a beautiful record to, to now. You know, it's a big cycle. Well, there you go. Fantastic. He's, he's one of, uh, of many unforgettable characters in this, in this book, which I, I really can't recommend too highly. Uh, Stuart, uh, uh, Trouble Songs, Music and Conflict in Northern Ireland. Would you please show your appreciation to Stuart Bailey? And, and Stuart, Stuart came over this afternoon with a backpack full of uh, books because it, it's not actually published in the UK, although you can probably buy it online, I think. Yeah, get it on Amazon, yeah. Um, uh, and so he can't carry yeah. a load back, so lighten his load and treat yourself really to one of the most extraordinary books of the year. Stuart Bailey. This podcast is brought to you by The Word.